0: So this afternoon, I wanted to focus on one thing that I think gets at the heart of why we're even here. Hebrews ten twenty five would tell us that our reason for gathering is that we might encourage each other to love and good works. And I think that's my, my goal in this lesson is for it to be exactly about those very two things, that it would be encouraging all of us more to love and good works And this, the topic is a responsibility to our fellow man, because if our uh, religion, if our Christianity, is only what we do here, then we've completely lost the point. And so, my encouragement and my this lesson is both to me and to all of us, that Christianity would and and our faith in God would seep into every single detail of our lives, into every single thing that we do. It would change the the way that we see situations, people, everything. Um, and so it's a it's a challenge uh, for me. This is a lesson that was born out of something that I feel like I'm not doing very well with and that I want to do better with. So I, just hope, I hope it's helpful. First, I want us to consider just for a moment what our relationship as Christians should be to the Old Testament. We're going to start in the Old Testament. If you would turn to Romans 15, just for a moment. In Romans 15, beginning of verse 3, it says, For even Christ did not please himself, but as is written, The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the, endur- the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you might glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we learn that we ought, as Christians, to have a relationship with the Old Testament. Um, And specifically here that it's meant to teach us and give us encouragement and uh, endurance that we might have hope. I think the tricky thing sometimes is that when we read certain Old Testament laws or passages, we say, well, how is it that that would... Apply to me, uh, or would it apply to me? So the question is, I know I, I know the Old Testament is supposed to teach me to give me endurance and hope, but how is it that something like this would do that? And I'm not uh, my plan today is not to go and try to try to find out that, but rather just to say that I think there's a principle here that we, we use uh, what we now know in Christ and in the New Testament to help us benefit and be taught by the Old Testament. And that's what I have to do is to first look at the Old Testament into some passages that I do believe have application to us, and then to look in the New Testament to see those same principles. But I think we can learn a lot by seeing uh, some of these examples in the Old Testament. So we're going to start actually here in Deuteronomy 22. These uh, laws in particular relate to our responsibility toward our fellow man. And there's tons and tons of laws in, in, uh, in the Moses, Law of Moses that I believe. Uh, fit that category. This one in particular, is, in Deuteronomy twenty-two eight, and some of the, these other passages, uh, more apply to a uh, responsibility for the safety of others, or when people come to our house, or when involving our own property. So let's read those in Deuteronomy twenty-two eight. It says, "When you build a new house, make a parapet around your roof, so that you may not bring the guilt of bloodshed on your house if someone falls." From the roof, so the idea that you know you need to make sure that if uh, when people are at your house or for your family that uh, it's safe, right? That you're not going to inadvertently hurt harm someone by them coming to your house, and that's a responsibility as God's people we have, right? To care for the safety of others. That's not something insignificant to God. Apparently, He wrote a law about it. Go to Exodus 21 regarding a man's property. In verse 28 it says, of Exodus 21, it says, if a a bull gores a man or woman to death, the bull is to be stoned to death, and its meat must not be eaten, but the owner of the bull will not be held responsible. If, however, the bull has had the habit of goring, and the owner has been warned, but has not kept it pinned up, and it kills a man or woman, the bull is to be stoned, and its owner also is to be put to death. However, if payment is demanded, the owner may redeem his life by the payment of whatever is demanded. This law also applies if the bull gores a son or daughter. If the bull gores a male or female slave, the owner must pay 30 shekels of silver to the master of the slave and the bull is to be stoned to death. If anyone uncovers a pit or digs one and fails to cover it and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the one who opened the pit must pay the owner for the loss and take the dead animal in exchange. If anyone's bull injures uh, someone else's bull and it dies, the two parties are to sell the live one and divide both the money and the dead animal equally. However, if it was known that the bull had the habit of goring, yet the owner did not keep it pinned up, the owner must pay animal for animal and take the de- dead animal in exchange." So it's interesting here, it mentions the situations in which an owner of a bull would not be responsible. But in other cases, he is. right. There is a responsibility that the people of God have in regards to their property and in regards to the safety of people. This, this honestly is something that I don't always do very well with and something that as we go into the New Testament, I think we will see application for, for us as well. For example, in my own life, that is, just the other night, Grady and Aaron came over and I hadn't even swept, like, swept off the walk for them. It was icy and slippery um, they couldn't even quite pull in the driveway because it, uh, I hadn't really swept off the whole uh, or uh, shoveled off the whole driveway. Like, uh, I don't think that was right to do, you know. Those kinds of things, being concerned about people's safety, being con- concerned about them, is something that God desires within us. One more passage on that is uh, Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19. There's several verses here that are kind of in quick succession, but the very second, the second half of verse 16 there says, do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. So I think that that maybe is a good kind of summary principle of the things that we've just been reading. And like I said, we understand this. I think this one's actually easier than the one I'm going to, than the second one I'm going to look at. But to think this is, this is God, something that God desires and wants us to do because we are responsible um, in those situations so another case though in which i I believe we're we're responsible is when we see a need Uh, when we see that our our fellow man is in need and that's what i want to really focus on for the rest of the time but just to establish this idea that we uh, as god's people we god expects us and we are responsible for one another turn, you can actually just stay there in Leviticus 19. I think the principle that we're going to see in these passages is summed up in verse 18, the latter half, where it says, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Um, I really think when we're talking about a responsibility for people, uh, for our fellow man, and our conscientiousness of that, we're talking about loving each other like we would want to be loved. Uh, We're going to see that more and more as we go through. And also, I think that what we see here, too, is something that is not what is expected of humans in the world. Now, there is a certain amount of expectation just in the world in general that you would uh, show, like, general kindness toward each other. But I think what is expected of Christians goes beyond that. And uh, we'll see that as we go through. So first, go ahead and turn back to Deuteronomy 22. Deuteronomy 22. And as we read these, uh, both here in Deuteronomy as well as in Exodus 23, I want you to notice the phrase that keeps popping up. In my version, it says, if you see, if you come across, if you encounter. We'll see that over and over again. And we'll see it in the New Testament as well. But that will relate to this. In verse 1 of Deuteronomy 22, it says, if you see your fellow Israelites ox or sheep straying, do not ignore it. But be sure to take it back to its owner. If they do not live near you, or if you do not know who owns it, take it home with you and keep it until they come looking for it. Then give it back. Do the same if you find their donkey or cloak or anything else they have lost. Do not ignore it. If you see your fellow Israelites' donkey or ox fallen on the road, do not ignore it. Help the owner get it to its feet. So in several different cases here, if you see a need, like you see someone who's lost an animal, or you see someone who is struggling and uh, who's fallen, you know, don't ignore it. You keep saying that over and over again, don't ignore it. Um, and I, I, I'm just ashamed of the times that I have not followed this, that I've not done this. I remember uh, one time we were driving into the, the zoo in Cincinnati. And uh, there was a man who uh, was stuck in the mud on the side. And there was a guy, I think, who got out to help him. But it was just like kind of awkward and inconvenient. And I was like, uh, it looks like someone else is helping, so I'll just not do it. And they finally got him out. It took a little while, but they finally got him out of the, of the mud. And then I looked, and, and that guy that had got out to help had stopped traffic, uh, had stopped his car, stopped traffic to go help. And right on his hat, he had a a big cross. That is what someone who proclaims Jesus would do, you know. Yet, I didn't do it. I didn't help the the person. I I I can't even think of probably all the times that I've done things like that. I remember another time when uh, someone uh, came to our door uh, in Bowling Green and they needed help. And I knew that it was someone who was on drugs. And I knew that they probably were asking for money, but they definitely needed help. And I pretend like I was at home. Just things like that. It's like when I see a need, I believe this is teaching us that we have a responsibility to do something. You know. And I'm ashamed of the times that I haven't done that, that I should have, um, when I haven't taken care of my fellow brethren, my fellow, brother, my, my fellow uh, human. And actually, in this case, it is talking about fellow Israelites. But take a look in Exodus 23. I think this is fascinating that it really says almost the same thing. But we're not talking about Israelites anymore. In verse 4 of Exodus 23, it says, if you, if you come across your enemies, ox or donkey, wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure to help them with it. So in this case, we're actually talking about enemies or people you know who hate you if you see them in need in this in the same kind of need if you see the missing something or or fallen down go help them and it's not like he gives you an option here you know it's do not ignore it it's not optional it's not permitted to ignore it i think this is a little bit hard to imagine cuz it's like well i don't know if i like i i don't even know anyone maybe who hates me or or if i do like i'm not you know i'm not really uh, it might not be super obvious or something but think about if you saw someone who you knew was like a member of ISIS or a known terrorist or something and you had the opportunity uh you saw them in need what would you do I think it kind of gets us at the idea of what this have may have felt like when the Israelites were called upon to do this right um when they had when there was a need though it may be an enemy right i think this is also where it goes beyond just as what of what is expected of the world because i think if you were to if you were to paint this scenario of there's an, someone Broken, their car breaks down right out here, and and you find out that they're a terrorist, a uh, member of ISIS, or something like that. The world would expect you not to help them. The world, wor- the world would expect you to call 911 and, like, make sure their car didn't work, you know, you know, and like so they couldn't escape or something, you know, or whatever it might be. This is where uh, it goes beyond just what would be expected in the world, and that is that we show the same kind of love, not just for people we like or people who. Um, or of our same economic class or whatever it might be, but for strangers, for people who maybe even are enemies um, or who would hate us, and we're taught this kind of love by the Lord in Matthew five at the end of that chapter in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaches us that the world would teach you or the Pharisees would teach you an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, that, that kind of thing, um, or that you hate that you love your brother and you hate your enemy. But we're taught that we love our enemies, that we do good for them, that we pray for them. And that's ultimately how we become like God, in his love. So uh, a common excuse I know I have used before to these things is, well, I can't help everyone. Um, There's so many needs out there. How do I decide where to where to focus my efforts and where to help? You know? And I, I think, to me, these passages uh, that we just read in Deuteronomy and in Exodus particularly help me at least consider one area in which I know I have responsibility, and that is if I see, if I see, because it keeps repeating that phrase, if I see someone who has lost their animal, or if I see a uh, person fallen on the road, or whatever it may be, if you come, in verse uh, four of Exodus, it says, if you come across this we're gonna we're gonna look at a story in the new testament where this happens where people come across someone who's fallen or who's been who's been hurt so i i think there's indication here that god um, expects especially in those certain opportunities who he put in our path for a reason that we have responsibility so let's look at some new testament passages just kind of show us that this is among all those laws in the old testament these are ones that apply to us Look in First John. What I like, what's cool about this passage is that it uses that very same phrase that we were just looking at in Deuteronomy and Exodus. First John uh, chapter 3 and verse 17. Notice the language here at the beginning of verse 17. It says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Your children. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So uh, we we clearly have a responsibility once we are aware, once we know, once we see the need to give to that person. But uh, we're, we've primarily just been talking about physical needs here, which I think is super important. And it uh, and I'm I'm going to show you how I think being conscientious and living this way, as we've been talking about, ties into. The spiritual good of people as well. But even here in 1 John, uh, it ties it in. If you would look at 5 16, it says that same phrase again. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. So when someone sins and we see that we have an obligation we have a responsibility not just for the physical welfare for those who we see lacking some physical need but rather for also for someone's spiritual welfare uh, when we see that they um, have sinned they need to be prayed for they need god's forgiveness in any case in which we see those things we have responsibility as christians i think another common excuse perhaps is that this isn't my gift or like this is I, I uh, don't have this particular ability or something like that. But I don't I don't think that this is something that just applies to some of Jesus disciples. This principle, this is a principle that's based on the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. And that is a commandment to every single disciple of Jesus. This, this idea of responsibility for the needs that we see and that we're aware of. So let's turn to Luke 10. We just read this story and it's a very well-known story. But I love this because it fits right in line with what we've been reading in the Old Testament, the idea of seeing a need and the responsibility that that person has ultimately to to take care of that need. And we see at the very beginning of this story that it is tied into loving your neighbor as yourself. That was the whole question in the first place, right? What can I do to inherit life? the lawyer quotes two laws from the Old Testament: "Love the Lord uh, your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind," and "Love your neighbor as yourself," which comes from uh, Leviticus 19. And then it's that second commandment that uh, the lawyer asks about: "Who and who is my neighbor? Like if I'm gonna, if I need to love my neighbor as myself, how is it that I'm going that I do that? Uh, who who should?" I love." And that's what prompts this story. So Jesus not only is talking about compassion and mercy here, but also about loving your neighbor as yourself. That's what prompts this story. And I I read recently that the Jewish scribes were known to make careful distinctions between neighbors and strangers. And of course, we know from the Sermon on the Mount that they also made distinctions between their, their friends and their brothers versus enemies. But as we have already read, scripture makes no distinctions and the Lord makes no distinctions in that way. But the setting of this story is a familiar one. It's the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, a steep descent, which in 22 miles drops 3,500 feet through rocky terrain and hundreds of rugged ravines as you go. And today it's apparently more or less the same. And in Jesus' time, it was notorious for, as as a hangout for thieves. So, you have this scene where a man has been robbed and left to die, and on the scene appear a priest, a Levite, men who should have had, who are noted for their religious piety, um, should have had compassion on this man. And their path on this road would not have been unusual, or their uh, presence on this road would not have been unusual, as they needed to pass uh, to Jerusalem to serve their week in the temple, and they would have traveled perhaps from Jericho, which was a a city of the priests, or perhaps from Galilee uh, to go through Jericho, which would effectively evade Samaria, uh, so they wouldn't have to encounter Samaritans, but they would go through Jericho and down then to Jerusalem. From such men whose task it was to bless and serve their people, there would have been every reason to expect compassion on their part but there was none. And they, we read, passed by on the other side. But the tragedy is that Jesus is not pointing um, in this to the unusual, but to the usual. As usual, as thieves on the road to Jericho, was this compassionless piety that's concerned for the suffering, but not enough to overcome the fear of the inconvenience to actually help the person, to actually take the responsibility upon themselves. And they no doubt had many good reasons for not stopping. More important things to do. Can't risk defilement for temple service. No good getting two men robbed instead of one. Um, you can't help all these people. Uh, some of the things that we've been talking about. And perhaps they even expressed their outrage at all this violence as they passed cautiously. Perhaps this part of the story was uh, directed at the lawyer because who among us has not played it safe when suddenly confronted by uh, the physical or spiritual misery of others? We are put off by the risk of, uh, to ourselves or the inconvenience to our schedule or the pain of shared suffering or the simple demand of time and money. And we too can talk about loving others, but all too often we it has no meaning. And more than merely touched by the tragedy of the man, the Samaritan, Acted. He gently tended the wounds and transported him to the nearest inn where he made provision for his complete care. This was no grand but uh, short lived gesture. His concern and involvement were complete and total. And we don't read in Luke about all of the impact that this has on the lawyer, uh, but one, I think one thing is sure he had learned a great deal about the size of his neighborhood. And it was as wide as the world, um, as his neighbor was anyone who needed help. And the priests and the Levite were wrong to put sacrifice ahead of goodness. Loving God does not make one merciless toward men. Jesus once made this point uh, by quoting the words of Hosea, uh, for I desire goodness and not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. John would later say this: uh, If a man say he love God, and hate his brother, he is a liar. For he that does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. First John four twenty. So even with an appointment to worship God, that cannot be used to justify turning one's back on suffering. And if we find ourselves in our passion for God abandoning all consideration for others, we can be assured that we are definitely uh, have a misguided passion. And some, some are of the uh, mistaken persuasion that uh, any abuse of others is justified when one is trying to maintain the truth of God. The idea that we talked about before of conviction, having conviction but having no mercy. I think another lesson that we learn in the uh, story of the Good Samaritan is that the Samaritan was not responding to some nobility or some goodness that he found in the unfortunate stranger. He had no idea of the man's moral character and, na- and loving our neighbor is not a response to ultimately the goodness in others. Uh, we saw that in the passage in Exodus where even to our, na- our enemies were, we have the same responsibility. It's not a response to their goodness, but to their need, ultimately. And had the man fallen into such desperate circumstances, even by his own carelessness, it wouldn't have changed anything about the responsibility of the man to take care of, of of any of those who passed by to take care of him. And he could have been, uh, we don't even know anything about the man, actually, that fell among robbers, he could have been a Jew who had himself treated Samaritans with contempt as was typical, but yet the Samaritan still helps him. Even though if he was a Jew, it would have been hard to forget the old injuries and people readily generalize the insults of some to a whole population, but yet this man, the Samaritan acts acts, and, and loves this, this, this man that he finds on the road nonetheless. Because true love for our neighbor moves not only out of concern for what, what in similar circumstances one would want for himself. It is not a response to the thoughtfulness of others, but a pure act of love toward those who may never have befriended us in any way. So to end, I, w- I want to think about just some examples of things that we can do. Um, because sometimes w- if we leave it in the theoretical, we don't actually end up doing anything about it. And I mean, I, I I don't think I've ever come across someone who had been beaten up on the road. Though if I did, I would know what to do. But what are situations that we do see, like actually pretty pretty often, in which we can also show the same kind of responsibility, know we have this responsibility, and do something about it? I gave a, one example earlier: Someone's broken down on the side of the road. I I really vividly remember one time when I was a child that the other preacher and his family at our congregation at the time were late to church. And I thought, how odd, you know, that at the time I thought if anyone is supposed to be on time to church, this is the preacher, right? Which is not really any different than anyone else. But but the reason was that they had been helping someone who they saw broken down on the side of the road, you know. And it certainly wasn't convenient. It made them late. But it was their responsibility. And it fits in exactly in line with what we see here in the. Story of the Good Samaritan. So I I'll always remember that, though as I've already mentioned, I don't always do well with that, and something that I'm uh, working on and what to do better with. In the example of uh, Deuteronomy and Exodus, if someone is, has lost something, I think that's a really easy one to say. I hope someone comes in and finds that, you know, <laughs> rather than to make take active steps to help it be found. That's what it's. You cannot ignore it, is what it says in the law, and. So I, I think that exact, falls exactly in line with the kind of responsibility we're talking about here. When you see someone in danger, of course, I think that's like the story here, though that's not as common. Someone struggling with anything, struggling with a door, a woman who has a bunch of children in her arms, like struggling with the door, struggling with her her uh, bag or her cart or something. An elderly person who's struggling. I remember seeing a, a guy on his, in his wheelchair Electric wheelchair, trying to trim his shrubs, and he couldn't, you know, quite get, you know, that. At least it's a good opportunity to ask, you know, can I help? Those are the kinds of things that I think we're talking about here. Of course, health emergencies. I, there's been several times in my life I've seen situations in which someone collapsed, you know. You might, and that's a, a perfect opportunity to say, well, you know, I don't know CPR, so I can't help. And that may be the case that you can't do CPR on them, but you can call nine one one. You can get, a, you can get help, things like that, and. Shouldn't Christians know CPR if this is the kind of thing that we want to be doing? You know, just a thought. If this is the kind of thing that we're responsible to be doing, wouldn't we equip ourselves in, in ways to to take care of people when we see needs? You know, someone who in the grocery line comes up short with not being able to pay all their all of their bill or whatever it might be, stepping in and helping in the situation. Those are just some. I think in a lot of those, too, it's slightly awkward. It's always slightly awkward. It's like no one else is doing this, you know. Exactly. like That's your opportunity to say, this, my, my God has put on me this responsibility for my fellow, person, for my fellow man, and this is something that I want to do. And again, it's not just saying, oh, you're such a good person. That's exactly the opposite of what you want, the message you want to send. And that's what I want to finish with, is that ultimately all of this and this responsibility that we have was never meant for us to be then glorified by it. Turn over to Matthew 5. Because if we're not careful, that's exactly what will happen, and the whole point will be lost. Matthew 5, verse 16, says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds, and glorify your Father in heaven. I've talked about this before, but how is it that we shine our light in this way, in such a way? And we do get good deeds in such a way that they glorify God. Because if we don't do it in such a way or in the right way, then they'll glorify us. And that I, I believe that that way is that um, we confess the name of the Lord. Uh, we, ta- we we give credit to him. And that is an effort to just kind of like feel more humble. But as an honest effort to show that that, that this is A responsibility I feel because I have been taught to love my neighbor as myself that's because that's what Jesus teaches and ultimately he's the one who is glorified for that this is a responsibility that doesn't come from just being a citizen not just from being a member of society or something like that it's a responsibility that comes because we are created in the image of God and we are God's people to care for a fellow man and ultimately if we do this it is it is a very spiritual thing though it may come out as a physical act it's a very spiritual thing because people will see those good works and ultimately think something about God because of it and it will uh, encourage and aid our witness to them about Christ because if we do our good deeds without confessing the name of the Lord we will be glorified for it but if we confess the Lord and we're out there evangelizing and telling people about the gospel which we must be doing but don't do good deeds, then people are going to blaspheme God's name. They're gonna think these people claim it but they don't live it, or even worse, these people claim it and live the opposite. And what a travesty that would be. If We went to all this effort to proclaim God's name, and proclaim it loudly, yet either one, we live the opposite of it, or also, which is I think what we're talking about this afternoon, that we fail to, to live out the love for one another that God's taught us. So I want to leave us with that by way of uh, encouraging us all to love and good works.